I received this Facebook message from one of our podcast family members. Her name is Anu. Anu writes, Hi, Dr. Chapa. I was introduced to your podcast by my younger colleague and love listening on my walks. I have moved away from OB and I think there are several of us now doing gin only. Is it possible to put in a little gin topic every once in a while? Anu, you're absolutely right. I am not anti-gin at all. I just love the OB part so much more. Uh, as you all know, I'm very OB uh, friendly. Uh, I, I think that's fascinating. There's a lot of things happening right now in the obstetrics world. But you're right, Anu. Hey, we got to show the world of gynecology a little love every once in a while. And it just so happens that on June the 1st, 2023, the North American Menopause Society, NAMS, released their new position statement on non-hormone therapy for vasomotor symptoms. So we're going to cover this. In this episode, we're going to tackle the 2023 non-hormone therapy position from the North American Menopause Society. Look, a lot of stuff is happening in that realm. Remember that not long ago, the FDA approved a novel new medication that's non-hormonal for the treatment of vasomotor symptoms. It's a completely different mechanism of action. And I've got a podcast on that, so you can go back down into the archives and review that. And we're also going to touch on this in this episode. So Anu, you're absolutely right. Let's show the world of gynecology some love by covering this new position statement in this episode. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. I've said this before multiple times in the past. My goodness, I have such respect for the natural processes that women go through. It's amazing. Uh, I mean, let's be real. If men could get pregnant and they did the human race would cease to exist, all right? I mean, does the whole term man cold uh, come into mind? If I get a cold, I think the whole world is on fire, all right? <laughs> so I, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm unique, maybe that just applies to me, <laughs> but there's a term, the man cold, for a reason. And if men had vasomotor symptoms, if men had hot flashes, uh, I mean, the whole world would suffer, all right? Trust me. I mean, nobody would get anything done. Productivity would stop. Stop. It would be catastrophic. So how you all function for our women listeners uh, with these physiological processes, my heart goes out to you. I, 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 I hear you. I understand that. My goodness. This is why having options available for this is super important because Ooh, at some point, my wife's going to start going through that. Uh, I've got two daughters. I, I, I want them to follow evidence-based recommendations so they have better quality of life. But vasomotor symptoms, these symptoms during the climacteric, the transition, the menopausal stage, whatever you want to call it. I mean, this thing is real and really does affect quality of life and, and overall even interpersonal relationships. So I'm glad that NAMS on January the 1st, really released this this new data because it has a lot of helpful information in it. And we're going to cover all of this in a super quick uh, summary way because there's a lot of info here. But we're going to cover this in a way that's comprehensive. So if somebody asks you a question about it, you know the answer. 
Hot flashes and night sweats, collectively known as vasomotor symptoms, are the most common symptom of menopause and occur in up to 80% of menopausal women. Now, not all of them have their life affected by it, but 80%. Think about that. Now, let's just say something right at the start here. This new position statement has to do, really focuses more on vasomotor symptoms. We're not talking about vaginal atrophy or vaginal dryness. We're talking about specifically about hot flashes, all right? Vasomotor symptoms. According to NAMS and ACOG, hormone therapy remains the most effective treatment and it should be considered the first line in menopausal women who are aged younger than 60 and within 10 years of their final menstrual period. And these women, of course, should obviously have no contraindications for use. So hormone therapy is first line. However, despite the underuse of hormone therapy, some women may choose not to use that option or have traditional contraindications. Some traditional contraindications to hormone therapy, just as a brief reminder, includes estrogen-sensitive cancers like breast cancer, coronary artery disease, myocardial infarction, stroke, venous thromboembolism, or inherited high risk of thromboembolic disease. Now, did y'all hear one of those contraindications from NAMS? It was inherited high risk of thromboembolic disease. In other words, a thrombophilia. That one is a little controversial. There's a great review published in the journal Post-Reproductive Health. That's the journal formerly known as Menopause International, and that's out of Sage Journals. This publication came out December 27, 2022, and the title is Hormone Replacement Therapy in Women with a History of Thrombosis or Thrombophilia. As the authors write, Quote, much less is known about the safety of various HRT preparations in women with a high background risk of thrombosis. These cases can often be challenging for clinicians with uncertainties around testing for thrombophilia, use of anticoagulation, and striking a balance between the risks and benefits of prescribing HRT. End quote. So let's be very clear. Traditionally, a high-risk thrombophilia has been considered a contraindication to HRT. But it has to do also with the routes of administration, the doses of medications used, and the types of hormone replacement given. I personally don't feel comfortable giving patients that have a high-risk thrombophilia hormone replacement therapy. I choose one of the other non-hormonal options that we're talking about in this exact episode. That's why we're covering this. But again, some view that as controversial because it doesn't take into account the routes of hormone uh, medication administration and the doses and the types. I don't give it, but just to know that it's controversial. And if you'd like to see more in that review, then you can go to Post Reproductive Health from December 27th, 2022. And the title, once again, is Hormone Replacement Therapy in Women with a History of Thrombosis or a Thrombophilia. The first author is Guy Morris. All right, fine. Well, now that we've covered that, let's get back to our NAMS position statement. Now, remember, this isn't reviewing a meta-analysis or some other kind of systematic review. This is basically a group of experts who took a look at all the recent data, including new FDA-approved medications, and then got together and then said, look, we're going to divide our topics into five main sections, all right? The five sections are lifestyle modification, mind-body techniques. We're going to explain all of these in just a minute. The third is prescription therapy, so traditional medications. The fourth is dietary supplements. 
And then the last one is acupuncture and then other treatments and technologies, all right? So those are the five sections of review. Lifestyle, mind-body technique, prescription therapies, dietary supplements, and then acupuncture, other treatments, and technologies. Before we get into each of the specific five categories and figure out what the experts say, I do want to give a quick word about those that end up with a do not recommend recommendation. All right. So once the experts review a certain t- topic in a certain category and they go up, oh, look, it's just I just don't recommend this. It is not for use for vasomotor symptoms. We've got to realize that it doesn't mean it doesn't necessarily work because some of these do have data. It just has conflicting data. All right. So, uh, of course, if there isn't the predominance of evidence, just like in a court, if there isn't a predominance of evidence showing that it works, the group of experts said, look, we're just going to say it's just, it's almost equal to chance. It's very conflicting. We cannot recommend it. So we have to define what that means, right? When they say cannot recommend or do not recommend is because the data is either all over the place or it's extremely small and limited uh, with uh, not uh, controlling of confounders, or it's just uh, so uh, biased uh, and and not well controlled that medically and scientifically it cannot be an evidence based recommendation. All right. Okay. So having said that, now let's get into the first major category, which is lifestyle modifications. Lifestyle modification. All right. Now, there's several things in this bucket under this umbrella that qualifies as lifestyle modification. And just because some things that we'll discuss did not meet the grade, all right, ended up with a do not recommend recommendation, doesn't mean that they, they're not good for you. Like one of the things we're going to discuss is yoga um, and exercise. Hey, those things are great, but we're talking about a critical review of the data and the literature in terms of reducing hot flashes, all right? So the first thing under lifestyle modification was just cooling techniques. And of course, we've always told patients to do things like this, like, oh, dress in layers so that you can pee yourself down like an onion if you get hot. Or use sleeveless blouses or sleeveless shirts, use breathable clothing, avoid pullover sweaters and tops and scarves and things that keep heat in. We've all told patients to do things like this. But is there data that they work? Again, all those things sound great. And if it makes the patient more comfortable, then that's absolutely wonderful. But based on scientific evidence-based recommendations, um, it's just not there. So after reviewing all of the data critically, the experts concluded that in terms of cooling recommendations as a lifestyle modification, quote, overall, cooling interventions should be tested in larger randomized placebo or sham controlled clinical trials before they're recommended as treatment for vasomotor symptoms. So it was given a not recommended conclusion. Next, what about avoiding certain triggers? Women are often told to avoid triggers like alcohol or caffeine or spicy foods or hot foods or liquids. But is that real? Well, according to the experts, quote, there are no clinical trials assessing the effectiveness of avoiding triggers for the alleviation of hot flashes. So this was also given a do not recommend recommendation, which is good because the last thing you want to do, my goodness, sometimes is avoid caffeine or, you know, not have that glass of wine. My goodness. I mean, so if that triggers hot flashes for a particular patient, then that's fine. But in terms of an aggregate, again, evidence-based recommendation, it did not meet the grade. 
Now, this next one is also a little hurtful to say because exercise and yoga, I mean, who wouldn't recommend that? That's just good as a stress reliever. It's just good for health maintenance. But does it work for vasomotor symptoms? Uh, no. According to the expert opinions, quote, although there are other health benefits associated with exercise or yoga, the evidence for those interventions for the treatment of vasomotor symptoms is sparse. So yoga and exercise were given a not recommended recommendation. All right, podcast family, remember we're talking about the first bucket in review here, which is lifestyle modification, and that also includes diet modification. I mean, I've had patients tell me, oh, I've switched over to a low-fat, plant-based diet uh, for my hot flashes, and my answer is always the same. That's fantastic for your health. I'm not sure if that's actually helping for hot flashes. And that's exactly what the NAMS experts concluded after their literature review. Quote, There is limited evidence from clinical trials to support the use of dietary modification for improving hot flashes. So that also was given a do not recommend conclusion. Ah, but there is something here that is recommended, and that's weight loss. Remember, we're still under lifestyle modification. Studies have found that women who are obese are more likely to report more frequent and severe hot flashes than women of normal weight. And based on the data, it does seem that weight reduction is a valid tool for relief of vasomotor symptoms. So the NAMS experts, after reviewing all the data, did give that a recommend conclusion. So weight loss, yes. Okay, so of all the different lifestyle modifications, the only one that seemed to carry some weight, no pun intended, dad joke right there. (laughs) The only one that carried some weight was weight loss. Oh, just go with it. Okay, next, let's cover mind-body techniques. You all know this already about me. I am a big believer in cognitive behavioral therapy and the mind-body connection. Man, I've done a lot of research on that. Uh, It's worked for me. I'm a believer. It totally works. Cognitive behavioral therapy has been shown to reduce the degrees to which vasomotor symptoms are rated as a problem. Initial evidence came from two double-blind RCTs. One was called MINOS-1, which showed that group CPT compared with usual care reduced vasomotor symptom problem rating in 96 survivors of breast cancer. And then there was MINOS-2. That's M-E-N-O-S, right? MINOS-1 and MINOS-2. Well, MINOS-2 also showed that self-guided and group CPT therapy compared with usual care was effective in reducing vasomotor symptoms. So in terms of cognitive behavioral therapy, if that's something a patient is interested in, quote, the body of literature as a whole supports that cognitive behavioral therapy alleviates bothersome vasomotor symptoms for both survivors of breast cancer and menopausal women, end quote. So CPT Yep, the authors concluded, yep, that's one to recommend. Good, because I like CBD and I'd be very disappointed if it didn't work. But now let's move on to something similar to that, which is mindfulness-based interventions. Now remember, mindfulness is, is not trying to figure out why something has happened. It's saying, hey, I've got a hot flash, I get it, and, and basically calming yourself down, realizing that you have the hot flash, right? So cognitive behavioral therapy is saying, hey, do I have some kind of stress inside me, some kind of psychological uh, fight going on that I need to get to the root of? 
But mindfulness is a little different. It doesn't try to get to the root of anything. It just says, ooh, I'm experiencing something now. I'm in the moment. I understand that. And I'm going to talk myself down off the ledge. All right. So it's a little bit different than cognitive behavioral therapy. Well, unfortunately, quote, given that these studies were limited by their small sizes or limited control groups and that they were not designed to consider vasomotor symptoms, there are not enough data to recommend mind-body mindfulness techniques for the management of vasomotor symptoms. So the expert stated, as of right now, While mindfulness is a great thing to practice, according to the experts, there's not enough data to recommend that as a standalone therapy for hot flashes. Okay, so under mind-body techniques, so far we have cognitive behavioral therapy, yes. Mindfulness, not so much. But what about clinical hypnosis? Now, if you hadn't heard about that for hot flashes, yeah, it's actually a thing. And the expert group actually recognized it as a thing. There is data and there's actually good randomized controlled trials that show that this can help. So the expert stated, quote, a program that can be delivered via trained provider or accessed via smartphone application can be recommended for vasomotor symptom relief. So clinical hypnosis, yep, that's a go. In this category, the authors also reviewed two other items, paced respiration and purposeful breathing and relaxation techniques. And again, those are great things to do. But in terms of efficacy, in terms of evidence-based recommendations, looking at the literature, do they remove and reduce hot flashes? Neither of those two behavioral therapies paced respiration or just relaxation techniques, while they're overall good to do in general, didn't actually meet the grade for hot flash relief treatment, all right? So both of those got a do not recommend. So out of mind-body connections, cognitive behavioral therapy and clinical hypnosis were the only two that met the grade. Podcast family, we have covered lifestyle modifications and then mind-body techniques. We're now at our third bucket, and that's prescription therapies. Most of us are familiar with this, or I think I think we are, because these have been around for a while. But there's some new ones on the block that we need to discuss. Many non-hormonal prescription therapies have been evaluated and found to significantly reduce vasomotor symptoms in symptomatic menopausal women. But there's only two that actually have FDA approval for this. The first is paroxetine at 7.5 milligrams daily. And the new one that we covered in a previous podcast is fezolinotent. The brand name is Vioza. That's V-E-O-Z-A-H. V-E-O-Z-A-H. Not a sponsor. So fezolinotent is a brand new, very novel mechanism of action. We'll discuss that in a minute. But those are the only two that have specific FDA clearance, specifically for that reason, for hot flash relief. But we know that there's a lot of other medications that have been used off-label that also work. These have included selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, serotonin norepi reuptake inhibitors, or SNRIs, gabapentin, And even oxybutynin has some data that this works. Typically, the onset of these medications is within two weeks. I do want to focus on the newly approved fezolinotent because that just got approved in May of 2023. The data has been out for a while, but the FDA finally said, yep, it's good to go as a non-hormonal alternative for vasomotor symptoms. And again, that just happened May 2023. 
the science here for why this medication works is super interesting, right? Because hot flashes, we always said, oh, it's a withdrawal to estrogen. Yeah, that's true, but it's so much deeper than that because it has to do with candy. Not candy like, mmm, candy, but candy as in K-N-D-Y. Those are the specific kind of neurons that are in the brain that help trigger and regulate hot flash uh, symptomatology. These neurons, K-N-D-Y, stand for kispeptin, neurokinin B, dynorphin, and that's where you get the K-N-D-Y or the candy to describe this unique subset of hypothalamic neurons. Here it is super briefly. Neurokinin B stimulates while dynorphin inhibits sustained pulsatile capsaicin secretion. In turn, kispeptin acts directly on the GnRH neurons that stimulate GnRH secretion. Now, we know what they do. That drives LH and FSH release. Now, in parallel with the effect of those candy neurons on the GnRH in the hypothalamus, the candy neuronal plexus also has direct effects on the adjacent hypothalamic thermoregulatory center. So here it is, family. After declines in circulating levels of estradiol happen in the menopausal transition, vasomotor symptoms are triggered by hyperactivity of these candy neuronal plexuses. This causes hypersecretion of neurokinin B. Well, this hypersecretion of neurokinin B from the candy neurons leads to an overactivity of the thermal regulatory center. Aha! So if you have something that can block neurokinin B, that should reduce hot flashes. Well, that's exactly what this new medication does. So, yep, the new medication that was just improved in May of 2023 does have its effect, its origins, its mechanism of action in the brain, all right? So those are neurokinin B antagonists. Yes, they just played for me the old cameo song, Candy. Right? I grew up with that. I think that was like in the 80s or was it 90s. So they told me they're going to stick that in there. I hope they don't, but if they do. That was not my idea. Um, soon I'll be taking applications for a new podcast staff. Uh, just kidding, guys. Just kidding. All right. So let's go ahead and get, let's get back. Let's, where are we? What are we talking about? What do we do? We did. Lifestyle modifications, my goodness, lifestyle modifications, we did mind-body connection, we did pharmacological treatments, right? Yes. Now we're at dietary supplements. So we're on number four of our five things, and we're going to keep going through rapid fire here to make up time, all right? So we're at dietary supplements, and let's do this really quick because it's overall pretty depressing. Oh, dang it. See, this whole cameo thing and candy that threw me off. One last thing. Hold on. Hold on. Let's go back to pharmacological agents. I forgot about clonidine. Clonidine is in there. I used to write for clonidine. Yes, it does work, but patients can become non-functional with it because there's side effects that are kind of sucky. All right. So you get hypotension, you get lightheadedness, you get headache, you get dry mouth. So according to the experts, they go, hey, there is some data. Yeah, clonidine as a central alpha-2 adrenergic agonist, it can show some benefit for treating hot flashes, but, quote, because of safer alternatives to therapy and because of the associated adverse effects, clonidine is not recommended, end quote. All right, so clonidine, old school, yes, it works, but there's definitely much better options, so stay away from clonidine. All right, back to dietary supplements. 
Very depressing. And the short answer is, mm, yeah, probably not. So let's do soy foods and soy extracts. Once again, hey, having a soy-based diet may be good for your cardiovascular health. I dig it. I'm, I'm okay with that. But there's no evidence, at least on a critical scientific level, that that's going to reduce hot flashes. All right. So as the experts stated, quote, as a result of these studies with differences and limitations, the findings are mixed with some studies showing soy to be beneficial and other showing no effect over placebo. So because of this, at this time, they are not recommended, right? So according to NAMS, soy products is not recommended. Now, here's one I didn't know was a thing. Uh, pollen extract? Ew, who wants, to, who wants to eat pollen? Well, the short of it is, it doesn't work anyway. So according to the experts, quote, based on this expert opinion and limited scientific research for the management of vasomotor symptoms, pollen extract is not recommended. So let's keep moving. Black cohosh has been around forever. And of course, there is some anti-inflammatory benefits. So while that can be good for your overall health, does it reduce hot flashes? Well, according to NAMS, as of June of 2021, probably not. Quote, at this time, there's insufficient evidence to support the use of black cohosh for vasomotor symptoms. End quote. Ooh, I know that may have irritated somebody because some people like that blow co black cohosh, but doesn't seem to work. Same thing holds for wild yam extract, Don Quai, and even evening primrose. I mean, th this has been around forever, but evening primrose, either as the oil or the extract, none of that seems to have data. Maca is another root that's also been used for medicinal uh, purposes and even for reproductive health in men. But for hot flash relief, it's just not there. The same applies to ginseng and even chaste berry. All of these found just very limited or conflicting evidence, so NAM says it doesn't work. And while I'm a big fan of vitamin E, I think vitamin E has great benefits for overall health. For hot flashes, probably no help. All right, so the North American Menopause Society, according to this publication, again from June 2023, quote, vitamin E is not recommended for the management of vasomotor symptoms, end quote. Hey, and here's something that I didn't know was listed under dietary supplement, but it is. It's weird. I guess it's just under other supplements, and that's cannabinoids. I didn't know that was being put out there for hot flash relief. Uh, and I guess I didn't know that because it, it doesn't work. So according to this expert opinion, so cannabinoids, again, while great for anti-inflammatory, maybe some mood issues, and I'm not talking about THC, we're talking about CBD, right, the cannabinoids, well, that's not recommended because the data's not there either. So CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, is a yes. CBD as cannabinoids is a no. Oh, that reminds me, this is a weird story. I think this was last year. I was talking to a group of medical students, and I was telling them how, you know, I was a big believer in uh, CBT. It just totally works. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I try to promote that as much as I can. They're like, oh, you do CBD? And I'm like, yeah, it works great. I'm like, do you, like, smoke it? Or do you, or do you drink it? Or what do you do? I'm like, what are you talking about? They say, well, you're a fan of CBD. Said, no, I'm a fan of CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. Oh, this crazy accent gets me in trouble sometimes. That brings us to our last box, which is acupuncture, other treatments, and technologies. Some have used acupuncture as a way to relieve hot flashes. And while acupuncture can reduce stress, and I think acupuncture definitely has some roles for overall health and wellness, the data is just is not there for vasomotor symptom relief. 
According to this expert panel, quote, existing evidence does not support the use of traditional acupuncture for the treatment of vasomotor symptoms, neither for midlife women nor for VMS and survivors of breast cancer. So right now, it's not recommended. However, there's a little caveat here that maybe something could need further investigation, and that's electroacupuncture. That's a little bit more promising, but definitely not ready to recommend either. So electroacupuncture, that's a whole separate thing I don't want to get into uh, because it doesn't seem to work either. One of the other treatments in this last category is stellate ganglion block. Yeah, that's the old treatment for migraines. Well, there is something there for hot flash relief. Stellate ganglion blockade is a widely used treatment for pain management, including for migraines and complex regional pain syndromes. This treatment is accomplished through the injection of an anesthetic agent at the lower cervical or the upper thoracic region, because that's where the stellate ganglion lives. All right, we're talking at the C6 to T2 region of the anterior cervical spine. Like, that works. It, well, the data says it actually does. The experts panel stated, quote, Overall, stellate ganglion blockade might help alleviate moderate to severe vasomotor symptoms in select women. Results from ongoing larger RCTs are still needed, though, to provide more definitive evidence. Nonetheless, the evidence that's already in print was sufficient enough for these experts to grant it the recommended status. The last item that was covered in this final category was chiropractic interventions. I do believe in chiropractic therapy. I think that if it's done safely and correctly with a trained professional, I think it can provide a lot of musculoskeletal pain relief. I am a believer in it. But in terms of hot flash relief, uh, despite some claims out there, according to the experts from NAMS, yeah, the data is just not there. Quote, there has been no clinical trials of chiropractic interventions for vasomotor symptoms, and epidemiological survey data show no association between the use of these interventions and vasomotor symptom relief, end quote. All right, podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. We have shown the world of gynecology a little love by summarizing the June 1st, 2023 NAMS position statement on non-hormonal therapy for vasomotor symptoms. As always, we're thankful for you and we're glad that you're part of our podcast community. We'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.